Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because Lizzo, teach me about big girl coochie. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording, as always, at Thickness Central. And welcome to Season 2 of Mike's Thick Stack. It's been a hot minute, so let's jump right into the city shoutouts. We're all new and shiny in New York City. We're knocking it out of the park in Knoxville. We're back in Brussels. We're flying high in Barcelona. We welcome our new friends in Council Bluffs. And welcome to our homies in Ashburn, Virginia. Okay, now that we've called out so many of our friends spread across the world, we can now strut our stuff over to Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. So thick, I call it Thick Biscuit. This week clocks in at a 7 out of 10. It's pretty dang thick, y'all. It's thick like a pumpkin puree. The stack has a Marvel lean this week, and there's a lot of anticipation here, so let's get to work with those Marvel books. Starting with The Death of Doctor Strange, number one, I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. Uh, so just a synopsis here is, at the risk of sounding like an ass, Doctor Strange dies. Yep, that's it. Uh, there's so much to like about this story. There are two chapters, both pre- and post-death. The day of his death starts like any other day. He goes and does his doctorly duties, uh, both as a surgeon and as a Sorcerer Supreme, um, and he does things largely the way the Sorcerer Supreme would. I'm happy about the inclusion of Bats, the ghost dog, in the story because he's such a great character and a really good boy. There's also a narration that rolls through the whole book uh, about Koshche, the Deathless, I might be saying that wrong, and how to really cheat death. There are quite a few guests in this first chapter, too. It, of course, ends with Strange being caught at home alone and overpowered and, of course, murdered. In chapter two, the world has an almost visceral reaction to the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth being dead, and many of Strange's allies know almost immediately, but his closest friends find his body with a dagger in his heart. Mordo and Kaecilia show up, and Wong wants to fight them, but they quickly realize that the death was not at their hands. And suddenly, classic Doctor Strange steps out of the portal with a zounds, which is just, mwah, nice job, Jed, that's a really good one, and asks what year it is, which is such a fun twist. Mostly pros, few cons in this. The writing is tight. Jed McKay has proven to be one of Marvel's strongest writers this week, and he clearly leans into Doctor Strange's history. The art is also quite strong. The only con I can think of is that having Doctor Strange's friends and enemies find his body seems a little too convenient, but that's minor. All right, moving on to Fantastic Four number 36. I gave this a four out of five. Just for a quick synopsis, the Human Torch can't turn off his flame and ends up isolated from his family. He takes a lot of the focus in this issue. Johnny's emotional state is in some real trouble after not being able to flame off. He spends most of his time in this issue suffering. He can't eat, he can't drink, he can't be in physical contact with any of his loved ones, and no matter what Reed does, the heat is just too much. Reed calls Sky because the soul band hasn't melted. I think this is where, emotionally, the book shifts for me. 
The connection has altered Sky as well, making her more feral, I guess, because of their soul band connection. She removes it and then collapses in tears because she wants to go home. They waste no time and send her back through the forever gate to her home, but not before Johnny uncouples the soul band, which is a heartbreaking scene. He goes into isolation where Reed points out that he can't cry, which absolutely made me well up. As for pros of this title, there is a real urgency because at this point, Johnny's power is most outwardly dangerous. The art is strong and the writing is good, but the heightened emotions really sell this to me. As far as cons, there's almost too much urgency because they just send Sky away immediately. It simultaneously heightens and deadens the emotional weight of this character. I like her and I really hope she gets to come back. Moving on, we have Gamma Flight number four. I give this a 3.25 out of five. The team squares up against Scar and Abomination. Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. So this story is largely narrated by Dion, uh, AKA Stockpile, and details a lot of her relationship with her father. Gamma Flight is looking to take on Abomination and Scar, but they don't want to walk into a trap full of Gamma Mutates. I like the general vibe this team has. There's a lot of camaraderie as well as a little internal sniping at each other, which is always fun. So the combo of Dell and Rick get them into the town safely, but then this whole thing turns on them, kind of like they thought it would. Dr. McGowan gets to the basement with uh, Len and Absorbing Man, and it looks like they both get killed, and it's like a vicious murder. As far as pros are concerned for this issue, it looks good and has a really nice team dynamic. It keeps the horror aesthetic going from Immortal Hulk, which is great. Uh, as for cons, I think this is a little too muddy to be a good story, but it's solid. There's a lot of jumping around, which makes it hard to focus. The ending, however, is quite the shocker. Uh, I'm not going to make that joke. It's too easy. It's too easy, you guys. Way too easy. I can't wait to see how they get out of this, though. Moving on, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 18. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. Uh, so just a quick recap of the story. The last Annihilation crossover comes to an end, and unexpectedly, so does this title. Doctor Doom and the rest of the Guardians square off against Dormammu by using magic that Doom has helped put into place as a last resort. You get the feeling that Doom is up to something, and you'd be right. But as for the task at hand, the magic does its job to hurt Dormammu and his connection to magic. And then, Doom sends the Guardians light years away to where they're actually needed. The Guardians combine their powers, and between Peter's new power set, he's, he's pretty juiced up now, Nova's human rocket abilities, Rocket's weapon building, and Gamora's deadliest woman in the universe assassin tendencies, uh, they take all that stuff, put it together, shoot a giant gun at Dormammu, uh, which is honestly pretty damn epic. However, after all this is done, we now know that Doom has Dormammu's magic, which seems like it's going to play into Fantastic Four's upcoming rec uh, Reckoning War. Overall, the team gets a nice happy ending, and the book ends well. Pros right here, this is Al Ewing's best book of the week, and easily. He clearly loves his team and sends them off with an epic takedown of an incredibly powerful foe. This is also the Marvel Universe at its best. Characters popping up in other titles just to get set up for something else down the road. As for cons, the biggest is for me is that the series is ending. It's been a favorite of mine for a long time and it, it kind of hurts to see it go away. My only other con is that it's called The Last Annihilation and had zero Annihilus at the center. But otherwise, it was brilliant. 
Next up, we have a very anticipated title for me personally, Moon Knight number three. I gave this a 425 out of five. Moon Knight faces off against the other fist of Kanchu, Hunter's Moon. This issue is action heavy as fuck. There's some exposition setting up the fight early on, but this issue reads very quickly. That doesn't mean it's pointless action either. We learn that fists are supposed to get information from previous fists, download directly into their brains, and that didn't happen with Mark, which is an interesting twist. I feel like we're gonna get a lot more at religious aspects of Kanchu as this series develops, which is cool. The fight moves in Hunter's Moon's favor, and he goes to the Midnight Mission to quote unquote, remove Moon Knight's distractions, AKA the vampires he's been protecting, which only serves to get his ass beat even harder. He gets repeatedly walloped by a baseball bat, reminiscent of Negan for just a moment. If you don't know who Negan is, Walking Dead, don't Google that scene because it's a hard watch. He dispatches him and tells him, don't come back, essentially. While this is usually dialogue heavy, this issue turns Alessandro Capuccio loose in action scenes and a wow. This guy is the truth. Pros for this issue are the action and the art. It's a visually impressive issue and fun to work your way through. There's a good deal of info exchange, but it doesn't feel laborious. As far as cons, I'm getting a little worried about the pacing and purpose of the therapist. Do we bother to take her at face value or is this more a Mysterio type situation? I'm not sure if I love the latter either. Overall, however, it's a very good issue. Next up, we have United States of Captain America number four. I gave this a 375 out of five. The team brings in John Walker to help stop Speed Demon and Cynthia, as well as Commander Krieger. There's also an origin story for Ariel Agbayani, a new cap featured in this book. The captains spend their time rallying their team and running down my least favorite sheared bearer, John Walker. As they pull him away from his bar, they face down with Speed Demon, Cynthia, and Commander Krieger, aka Hatemonger. Again, in case you didn't know, uh, Google it. Speed Demon is freed of, of their sway and control over him, and Cynthia is captured, and John Walker steps up to get some information from her, which seems like it's not going to be good. This was, in fact, an easy read, but there are a lot of moving parts. The second story focuses on new cap Ariel Agbayani and how far she goes to get back at a guy who abuses and steals from one of her friends. It's actually a cool story. It shows the closeness of a friend group and what they do to get justice for this girl. Pros for this issue are the speed and action of both stories. There's a solid art, and I'd like to see Ron Lim get more time illustrating Cap. Cons here include the lack of villain development. I know this isn't a long series, but we've barely gotten any real villain development or motivation. I understand it's about the heroes, but any good superhero story has high levels of investment or dislike of the villains, and I'm not sure we're there right now. All right, next up we have X-Corp, number five. I gave this a three out of five. As a quick recap, the co-CXOs deal with the attack on them and the resurrection of multiple men. All right, so Penance and Angel throw down pretty hard against Fenris as multiple men's dupes execute a defense strategy to take out a bunch of foot soldiers. Largely, X-Corp was not disrupted and they are stronger as a result. Trinary spends most of her time this issue trying to save Sarah St. John, who is working against X-Corp. I love her as a character, and I hope she gets a stronger presence as this book develops. 
And then at the end, we see Sarah St. John teaming up with one Henry Gyrick. Pros for this issue are the art and the conflict resolution. I love the way this book looked. Um, tricking Cole into thinking that he was constantly falling to his death was a fun move at the end of the story. The cons to me were really around the unprepared nature of the mutants here. Like, they just got... They got out of their predicament, but they know that they're hated and feared. The unprepared nature of the attack was kind of foolish, in my opinion. Next up, we have our penultimate book here in, on the Marvel side, X-Men number three. I gave this a 4.25 out of five. The high evolutionary shows up and throws down with the team, and there are some things in the background that are likely going to get exposed about the mutants very soon. I had a lot of fun with this issue. Uh, having the X-Men square up with the High Evolutionary was absolutely a good time. They start strong, but they eventually get put on the ropes. Sink ends the conflict by giving the High Evolutionary a drop of his blood that is so highly coveted. It's a creative way to stop from getting stomped, while also playing up his relationship interest with Wolverine, Lara Kinney here in this case, you know, for those of us who like Lara, like me, uh, as the two of them share a really intense look. Laura clearly has some mojo working here. The end was intriguing. A shadowy figure that looks a little like Ultron gives Ben Urich uh, some information about the mutants being resurrected. I'm curious about where that's going to go, but I like it. The pros in this issue are art and mystery. Pepe Larraz crushes this issue and it's amazing. One of my favorite recent ex-artists and hopefully he sticks around for a long time. I love stories with mystery and this Ultron, I guess possibly, spreading information about mutant resurrection is quite intriguing. The cons for me are Luminous and Cordyceps Jones. Luminous is the high evolutionary sidekick, essentially. Luminous takes down the X-Men with almost no problem, and they have a couple of Omega mutants on this team. It just seems illogical. Also, this Cordyceps Jones story feels uninteresting to me. I'm obviously going to give it a shot, but I'm not really that excited for it moving forward. Alright, final book here on the Marvel side, X-Men The Onslaught Revelation number 1. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Spinning out of the way of X, Nightcrawler and Legion deal with the return of Onslaught. So finally for this week, Legion and Nightcrawler deal with the fact that Onslaught has been planting itself into mutant minds upon resurrection. Onslaught has implanted ideas in some of the most important mutants on Krakoa, specifically Xavier and Magneto, and gets him to delete backups of mutant minds. A good deal of this relies on Nightcrawler's ability as a priest and kind of as a therapist to help Fabian Cortez and Lost find a place of forgiveness and acceptance of the mutant way, as well as some reconciliation. Onslaught has been specifically hiding in Lost and when freed is taken down rather quickly. This leads to Kurt really working on his religion with Fabian and Lost, helping him solidify that religion, and is now calling his new team Legionnaires. It also signified the return of my favorite character design, the goatee on Nightcrawler. I know some people hate it, but I think it looks badass. Pros for this issue were the stakes and the unexpected emotions. Losing all the backups and allowing Onslaught a foothold could have been disastrous for, for the mutants and their new nation. The emotional connection between Lost and Cortez with Kurt's guidance was a nice unexpected touch. Cons for me are that Onslaught was taken down relatively easily to me, and the name that it's decided at the end 
Is there a problem with using this name with the distinguished competition? Not sure, but we'll see where it goes, especially with the tease of the members at the end of the book. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, get a word from us and some friends of ours, hashtag Inner Circle, and then we'll be back with the DC books. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. Hey everybody, Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Tee Public page. Check out the link in the description and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. Yeah, we're back. Get a little refreshment. Take a little, little sip. Step outside. Maybe have a little smoke if you do that. Hopefully, you did all those things. Or none of those things. However you spent the break, I'm grateful that you are back. Let's jump into the DC books. Starting with Batman number 113, I gave this a 3 out of 5. This is the continuation of Fear State as Scarecrow makes his move to validate a years-old theory. There is a backup story for Clown Hunter as well. This issue starts with fake Oracle continuing to terrorize Gotham digitally as the Magistrate terrorizes Gotham in a different, more physical way. Fortunately, Batman is still effective against them. In order to get an edge, Batman and Ghostmaker go into Batman's memories from when he was captured by Scarecrow, where it almost breaks Bruce. Ghostmaker takes the opportunity to share some of his own memories with Batman, where he was following Scarecrow in his development of the Fear State Theory, which Joker War gave him the perfect moment to implement. Then you get the Clown Hunter story, and I really don't want to talk about this, but I'll try and move through it quickly. He's tripping on fear chems and just reliving all of his backstory, which we get again. The cool part about this story is how the action words, the onomatopoeia, I guess you would say, are used in the, in the lettering of, of the book. The prose for this book will probably include art as long as Jimenez stays on this book. Dude just has a visually striking style that I believe is perfect for Batman, all the way down to the backgrounds. The other pro is Ghostmaker, who's really grown on me as a character. He's become an interesting piece to the Batman mythos. The cons for me are the Clown Hunter story and the decision to demonize Peacekeeper 01 to the public. I'm driving away from Clown Hunter as fast and as far as I fucking can, and I just can't justify what's going on right now with Peacekeeper 01. It just doesn't make sense to me. All right, next up we have Batman the Detective, number five out of six. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Here we have the penultimate issue in this series about the people Batman has saved being hunted down, and there are some big revelations in this issue. So Batman keeps working with Squire to keep the people he rescued from being killed. They get most of the Bat terrorists arrested and catch up with Ducard, who's gotten out of the hospital somehow, 
and discuss Equilibrium. Turns out her life was changed drastically by someone Batman had saved, which is why she's out to eliminate the people Batman has saved. Specifically, the fact that one of these people got drunk and then caused a car crash and killed her husband and child. This is really sad and shows how sometimes people can misplace their anger in moments of grief, which I think is poignant. Batman realizes that she knows he saved London and she's going to try to kill an entire city, which is obviously bad. My pros for this issue are the strength of the writing here as well as the uh, action art. The reveal of the mystery has been dripped all the way through the series, which is good. The action scenes in this are among the best of the week, especially some of the details. The con is that I don't really love the beefy design of the male characters, specifically Batman. Um, Batman to me just shouldn't be this type of body. He should be strong, but not like Bane level jacked, if that makes sense. It makes preserving the secret identity part of this a little harder, in my opinion. Rolling on with our Batman theme here, we get Batman Secret Files Miracle Molly number one. I gave this a 275 out of 5. This issue serves as the origin story for the character introduced in the recent run of Batman. This follows Mary Kowalski and her insanely bland life that isn't living up to her expectations in any aspects, and how she becomes Miracle Molly. It's rough at times. There are a lot of wordless panels and you can see the lack of joy she gets from everything. Her relationship, her job, her sex life, everything is just boring to her and she just gets overrun. She goes through so much and it breaks her until she somehow comes across the Unsanity Collective. Once she discovers that and unlocks Miracle Molly, she becomes what she feels is the best version of herself. She comes across her old life later on and distances herself from it, granting her some peace finally. The pros are the art and the concept of story here. Keenan knows exactly the story he wants to tell here from start to finish. I love the art style here, especially a lot of the visual storytelling nods from Mary Early looking at her reflection and it's Miracle Molly to the end where it's Miracle Molly looking in a mirror and it's just Miracle Molly. I thought that was really cool. The cons are that, does this character really require a full issue of backstory? She's barely been around in the book, and I can't really think of a point where I was like, man, I really want more of this backstory. I'm happy that I got it in retrospect, but you didn't really sell it early on. Slipping out of the Batman hemisphere for just a moment, we have The Flash number 774. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Uh, this is a daddy-daughter issue for Wally and Irie. They're supposed to go to a daddy-daughter dance, but they get derailed by Dr. Nightmare. As a dad, I had a lot of fun with this story. Wally and Irie basically take down Dr. Nightmare, who is trying to take over Terrific Tech, where Wally works. He's put most of Central City to sleep, but Wally and Irie are simply unable to use their speed, which makes sense. They steal his helmet and defeat him with Irie's dreams to beat up Dr. Nightmare's, you know, nightmares. Afterwards, Wally takes Irie to dance in front of the Eiffel Tower as the next story is set up by a glaive falling to Earth. Cosmic glaive. Cosmic glaive. That feels so weird and cool to say. Cos say, it, say it with me. Cosmic glaive. Okay, <laughs> done being dumb. Uh, for now, anyway. The pros that hit me right in the heartstrings this issue are the daddy-daughter relationship and the distinct lack of the Flash. 
The relationship is so special to me, and I love to see heroes grow to be parents and have no idea like many of us actual parents do. With Wally focusing on family and Wally, it was nice not to have him stuck in his flash suit all issue. Cons for me are the ease with which Wally puts Irie in actual danger. She's just a kid, and that part feels a bit irresponsible. Okay, moving uh, back into the Batman hemisphere for just a moment here. Nightwing number 84, I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. This is the Fear State tie-in for Nightwing that sees Dick make his return to Gotham. Responsibly, Dick drops off Bitewing, which I'm going to go with all the time. Haley's a great name, but Bitewing is so much better to me, uh, before going out of town, and then jumps headlong into the mess in Gotham, lured there by fake Oracle. He gets ambushed and is rescued by Batman, and then they become a true dynamic duo again, getting rid of the magistrate goons that are attempting to ambush Dick. Bruce catches Dick up mid-fight. They regroup when they escape to some tunnels, and Bruce says something unexpectedly emotional to Dick about not losing his son in the alley that he lost his parents in. Admittedly, that line choked me up a little bit. Nightwing goes to see Babs, who is frustrated that she can't be Oracle, and dons the garb of Batgirl once more. Pros for me are the strength of the writing here as well as the pieces coming back into play here. There are some real moments of character excellence in this issue. Bringing Batgirl back is always fun for me. The con, and it's minor, is the unexpected change in artist, although Robbie Rodriguez does an absolutely great job here filling in for Bruno Redondo here. Okay, final DC book here. Supergirl number four out of eight. I gave this a four out of five as well. The search for Creme of the Yellow Hills continues here, and we see much of Kara's mercy and simultaneous pain. Kara puts her full empathy on display in this issue as she accompanies Ruth Ye, who I'm just going to call Ruth from here on in, on their continued quest to find Creme. She helps nurse people back to health, assists in burying the dead, and does even more. Eventually, it all weighs on her, and she leaves the planet to go scream on a sun, which is... Uh, it's kind of gut-wrenching. Throughout the book, Kara tries to spare Ruth some of the horrors of the galaxy and tries to send her home, but Ruth is rightfully undeterred. She has something she needs to see done, and Kara seems to understand that she won't turn back at the end of this issue. The pros in this issue for me are the themes of compassion and mercy and how they can evolve, as well as the undeniable art of Bilqui Everly. I think it's Bilqui? Bilquis? I'm not sure. I'll find out for next time. Kara helping people grieve or watch someone be stoned to death all provides something a little different here. The art in this book is fucking stunning, and if you don't pick this book up, you're missing something special. The cons for this book are my worry that maybe Kara is getting a little too much placed on her shoulders and that maybe we're being set up to see Ruth not make it out of this title. Okay, here we go with my new favorite part of the show, the weekly ranking. There are 15 books overall, and here's how it shakes out. Number one, Nightwing number 84. Number two, Moon Knight number three. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy number 18. Number four, Doctor Strange, Death of Doctor Strange number one. Number five, X-Men number three. Number six, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Number seven, Fantastic Four, number 36. Number eight, Flash, number 774. Number nine, United States of Captain America, number four. Number 10, Batman the Detective, number five. Number 11, X-Men, the Onslaught Revelation, number one. 
number 12, Camouflage number 4, number 13, Batman number 113, number 14, X Corp number 5, and number 15, Batman Secret Files Miracle Molly number 1. As we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit us up on Twitter, either me personally at SpiderMike29 or at the Twisted Cape. Looking ahead to next week, I'm looking forward to talking about from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man number 74, Inferno number 1, Thor number 17, from DC, Justice League number 68, Robin number 6, and Superman, Son of Kal-El number 3. Follow us on all socials, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, all at the Twisted Cape, no spaces, and there's a link in the show notes in case you don't remember. We do a weekly show on YouTube, sometimes it's Thursday, sometimes it's Friday, it depends on life. And we stream it on Twitch at least once a week, which should hopefully be Tuesdays. As far as all the others, if you follow us, we follow you in return. If you like us and our show, feel free to grab some of our merch from TeePublic, which has a link in the show notes as well. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, I love hose on poles, yeah. Stay safe, wear a mask, please get the vaccine, and most importantly, stay twisted. Fix that. Dr. Nightmare's Cosmic Glaive.